This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Army's been busy over the last few years solving technical capability gaps in the communications networks soldiers use on the battlefield. That whole modernization effort is still very much underway. The Army continues to field new gear incrementally. And in October, the Army unveiled a plan to tie the tactical network to the enterprise network, with cloud helping out there. For more on all of that, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu spoke with three senior Army leaders at the annual AUSA conference in Washington. Major General Rob Collins is the program executive officer for Command, Control, and Communications Tactical. Brigadier General Jeff Ray is director of the network cross-functional team at the Army's Future Command. And Joe Welch is director of the C5ISR Center, part of the Army's Combat Capabilities Development Command. You hear Collins first. We've had a significant amount of momentum uh, going on with the network modernization effort. And I think one of the things we've learned early on is uh, the ability to deliver the network all at once in kind of a single Big Bang type of an approach is not necessarily feasible nor nor affordable. So we've adopted these capability sets that you've talked about. There's four really lines of effort that we've been focused in on from a CAPE set strategy. You know, the yes, the network, also the convergence uh, really on the data piece and how we collapse a lot of the visualization tools for single point of glass. We've also been looking at uh, how do we address joint coalition interoperability, a third line of effort, and then fourth, you know, survivability and, and command post initiative. So those are the four things that we've been focused um, on Cape Set 21, specifically focused in on infantry formations. Across those, uh, we're roughly about halfway through the fielding now. Uh, both uh, 82nd uh, we've touched, and we've just uh, finished up on the 25th Infantry Division. Uh, I would tell you we've taken a lot of lessons, fee- uh, you know, a lot of lessons on usability, uh, usability from how you do network planning and management, uh, and how do you adopt the ease of use for a, uh, a planner to be able to, you know, implement, you know, plan and execute uh, a network plan. Now that we have many more options for them to uh, to be able to go out and execute, and other things too on these software pro- programmable radios, just how do you employ them? Uh, how do you distribute, maneuver the network, and things even down to you know cables and, and power management. So I think we've had a lot of lessons learned there. We'll finish that up. Some of those lessons we are addressing on the spot, and then we'll continue to iterate those as we move out on Cape Set 23, which is now going to take us into striker formations, uh, continuing to improve the capacity, the resiliency, and adding in uh, more of the data fabrics, the SATCOM, and then as we get into Cape Set 25, starting to really think about how do we protect the network and then automate some of the functionality. So that's just kind of a little bit of a, a landscape and the construct, and I really think iterating that uh, has been very helpful in really taking that soldier-centric design and iterating that feedback. One of the things I saw and heard for, from soldiers when we were out at JRTC during one of these first iterations was just how different it was having a multiplicity of different communications paths. And this is what we were talking about back at the booth before, right? And that that is a little bit what's different than it might have been two, three years ago, where you can rely on multiple different forms of connectivity where that might not have been true two, three years ago. Has that continued to bear itself out as you've gone through more of these cycles this year? I, I think as the unit gets more proficiency reps and sets with the capability, they're starting to understand the various types of capabilities within Cape Set 21. So down at those lower formations, the traditional uh, push-to-talk um, capability is available. We've also enhanced with a satellite capability, what we call MUOS. First time ever that we've pushed a satellite capability down to those lower echelons. And then and then a uh, mobile ad hoc network 
uh, what we call TSM capability. It's a mesh network for them to be able to push out, and it operates in a couple bands based on the terrain features. And so as we started to train and make them more proficient, not just the buttonology, but the employment, the ability to maneuver the network, I think we've seen a lot more proficiency. But they have, you know, uh, many more options in the primary alternate contingency and emergency pace plan, as we call, uh, to be able to employ. And I think that's helpful. But we continue to drive down u- usability. It's, it's a big focus area that uh, it's in a journey that we will continue to push on. And General Ray, that takes us back to something that you brought up earlier in one of the discussions here at AUSA, which is that uh, based on your experience, it just doesn't make sense and we can't take networks forward with us to the, to the extent that we did in a place like Afghanistan. What does everything that we just heard tell us about how the future of battlefield networking is going to have to work? Yeah, so let me give you a, just a simple example that, um, so you know the attack on Al-Assad? That required an incredible pace. We knew it was coming. That was a good thing because we were able to put a pace plan in place. So every single communicator on the ground were required to have a pace plan. If we had everything that General Collins just spoke about at that time on the ground, would have made it much even much easier for us to have a pace plan out there. But they did. They put their pace in place. They had DCATs, which are the largest satellite systems. They had their mobile satellite systems. They had the handheld radios and things like that. But we also did a split where we had commanders also do their pace. So we moved, you know, commanders away from the bases so that we had a better opportunity for, you know, more command and control and continuity of, of the operation if anything were to, were to go wrong. So, yeah, th- this is really important that we have pace in place, and we, we cannot operate with the network forward. Uh, what we found out is that, you know, Iran's, you know, missiles could reach all of our data centers. They could reach all of our forward bases. And so our bases needed to be further away. If they had got a strike on one of our data centers, could have put the entire uh, environment at risk out there. So we have to look at a more mobile, more agile way of producing uh, and having data sent to our commanders as well. So. Definitely not something we want to do right now is bringing the network forward to that capacity without being agile. Is there anything you can say within classification bounds about how that that, that situation around the Al-Assad attack would have been different if you had those pace capabilities? Yeah, in an unclassified environment, I, I would just say that if we had some of the pace plans and the, the transports that uh, General Collins just spoke about, um, I think we could have spread the force out even further. How does this all feed into where the Army more broadly wants to go with the unified network plan, which is fresh out, not many people have had a chance to look through it in, in much detail yet, but broadly, where's the Army going with, with this plan? I, I can just jump in and talk about what we would build off of um, from what General Collins and General Ray just talked about, sure. right? So they've been talking about increasing our capacity and our options and our resilience, right? The more network paths that we have available, uh, the more opportunities we have to get data where it needs to go, the more opportunities we have to extend our range and do these kinds of things and be resilient through uh, communication links that may go down, right? But the complexity that comes in there is 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 not insignificant, right? When we're adding a bunch of different things that could, in theory, get data there, they all have to be configured, right? It can add a layer of management complexity. And so part of the future of the unified network plan is for that to be more automated, right? That's a focus area the future capability sets so that these paths can not only be employed and provide resilience, but that they're essentially hands-off from a you know, manual configuration perspective. And so the pace plan that General Ray is talking about becomes more of an automated pace plan where all you need to know is that you need to exchange data or you need to put data somewhere, you need to pull it down. 
and you don't have to worry about the intricacies of how the network might be architected in order to, um, to get that data where it needs to go. Joe Welch is director of the Army's C5ISR Center, along with Brigadier General Jeff Ray, director of the Army's Network Cross-Functional Team, and Major General Rob Collins, program executive officer for Command, Control, and Communications Tactical. They were speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. 
And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, <clears throat> I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters uh, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day 
and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.